time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 166 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA. Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly, and what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Today we are brewing the absolutely delicious Kenyan coffee. Yay. It's so yummy. Where can everybody get this coffee? Bantamroasters.com. And use the code FLUFFYBUTT for 10% off anything on the website. That's a great code. Go use it and follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Are you ready to sip some of this delicious Kenyan coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. They're here, new and improved Grubly's World Harvest. I'm a longtime subscriber and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Grubly Farms makes food and treats for healthy pets and planet. To support us and Grubly's, go to our website or our show notes and use the link. Try it today. Okay, how are you doing? I'm okay. We're thawing. The snow is melting. It's good. How are you? slowly melting, slowly being able to breathe over here. I've had the longest cold ever. (laughs) You still might notice a little stuffiness in my voice, but it's there, but it's it's going to slowly go away. It is worse first thing in the morning and in the evening. And of course, we're doing this in the evening, so it's okay. As you guys can guess, we are on Zoom one more time, and we're going to be back together soon at the table. We cannot wait. Well... We are going to be back to the table because we're about to do our presentation for the upcoming Backyard Chicken Summit. Yay! We're going to be sitting at the table and hopefully I can breathe more on that day. That would be yes. good. So keep an, <laughs> eye, keep an eye on our website and our socials for the information for that. So just a reminder, the Backyard Chicken Summit is coming up. It's March 4th through 6th. It is a totally free event. There are other ways you can get early access that you pay for, but we'll have a link for that in the show notes so you can check it out. Can we tell people what our topic is for the show? Yeah, let's tell them. Let's tell them. We are talking about chicken crops, what a crop is, how to keep it healthy. And believe us, we know a lot about chicken crops. (laughs) We wish we didn't, but we do. We do. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to be talking chicken crops and dreaming of spring. That's what we do, right? Well, it's March. So yeah, we're going to be right in it. I know, I know. Okay, so on that note, if you're listening to the show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button for two reasons. The first is you never want to miss an episode. And the second is they count our subscriptions, so you really help us grow. If you're looking for other ways to help support the show, you can tell a few chicken-loving friends about the podcast. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, chickens, t-shirts, mugs. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website and our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love those amazingly good-smelling nest box herbs and that giant roll of rooster stickers. They're great. I love the wood decorative plate. It's going up in our studio today. And with all my baking, those egg separators are going to work awesomely. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. 
Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. La, da, 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 la, la, it's time for Breed Spotlight, yeah. Yeah. This week's breed spotlight is the Sultan. <laughs> I was a Sultan. The Sultan. Oh, you were a Sultan. Is that what that was? Yes. Well, that's very yes. That's interesting. Well, let's talk about a different kind of Sultan, shall we? Let's talk about one of my favorite breeds of chicken, too. The Sultan. Oh, is it one of your favorite breeds? One of my favorite before your favorite. You are full of beans. <laughs> I tell you, you did not know this chicken existed before I did. Yes, I did. I did. Girl. Okay. (laughs) The Sultan. The Sultan is an old and beautiful breed in the same family as Polish chickens and their various cousins. See, that's why I love them. Yeah. But the Sultan is arguably the fanciest chicken of that whole lot. They have crests, muffs, beards. Oh, I was going to say beards. Yeah, you were too slow. (laughs) heavily feathered legs and feet vulture hawks a v-comb and five toes so all the extra stuff that you can get on a fancy chicken is on one chicken they're like the mega fancy chicken the fanciest of all fancy chickens at least one early poultry historian referred to them as feather-footed white polish oh okay which they kind of look like yeah They are a rare breed throughout the world, and they are currently found in the threatened category of the Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority list. Now, we want to bring this up. We want to bring this up, and we want this bird to get out of threatened because we need to. Well, until recently, this bird was critically endangered, so they have moved up a bit. And I will say there was a whole row of sultans at the Ohio National Poultry Show. They were beautiful, too are so cute. I love them. The Sultans got their name from the fact that they were found in Eastern Europe and Asia, more specifically in Turkey. They were called the Sarai Tauk, which literally means the palace fowl. They are supposed to have been ornamental birds roaming through the Ottoman Sultan's gardens, much like the Pekin Bantams at the Summer Palace in Beijing. I mean... They're the fanciest of fancy. So, right. yeah, of course. Yeah. The term Sarai is related to Seraglio, which is the royal women's apartments. So, these birds, I say may have been, they probably were pets and companions for the women and children living in the beautiful Top Copy Palace in Istanbul. There's no doubt that these chickens were pets. There's no no doubt in my mind. We use the word that we don't like to use, ornamental. But for them, that was a saving grace because they were in the best and the finest gardens. They were roaming around. They were more well protected. And it was a, if you had one, you were lucky and it was fancy. They were fancy. So I think these have always been fancy birds, really. Mm -hmm. Sultans were originally imported into the UK by Miss Elizabeth Watts. Miss Watts had a friend living in Constantinople who sent a group of sultan fowl to her in 1854. We actually know a decent amount about her sultans 
Because Miss Watts, and this was quite unusual for a woman at the time, like in early Victorian England, Miss Watts was editor of the Poultry Chronicle Journal. Wow. Yeah. She also wrote several books, including Poultry, an original and practical guide to their breeding, and The Orchard and Fruit Garden, amongst them. She really did have a lot of books. Oh, yeah. Now, she wrote that her original importation of sultans arrived absolutely filthy when they came off the ship, and there was only one rooster among them, and it was hard to get any more roosters, especially during the Crimean War and other troubles with Russia. Oh, boy. She describes the sultans as being delicate, like the Poland fowl. Polish had a reputation for being delicate, and they are in some ways. Yeah, definitely. But she said the sultans were beautiful and they were much admired at poultry shows. Lewis Wright shares correspondence with another sultan fancier, the Reverend R. Woodgate. The Reverend found the sultans absolutely charming in personality, and he found them hardier in health than what Miss Watts described. And he noted that they were definitely hardier than silkies. But now they do have a reputation of not being as hardy. That's part of the problem. Right. Towards the end of the spotlight, we're going to get into why some of that is. In 1867, the Sultans arrived in the U.S. They were never super popular here, but they definitely had enough fanciers to keep them active with the APA. They were included in the first printing of the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1874, and they appeared in all other standard breed class. Oh, okay. The Livestock Conservancy notes that they were almost extinct by the 1930s. So we're probably lucky that there are any here in America at all. I don't really understand why they didn't really take off too much here. I mean, maybe it was just because they weren't hardy enough to take off. Like at that point, people wanted like Javas and, you know, like the hardier birds around the farm. You know, tumble chicken. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They weren't really fitting in. They're not super practical, but they make up for it in a lot of other ways. And back then they were less as pets and more as working animals on a farm supplying. They never were. And that was part of their downfall. They never were like a working chicken. They couldn't have been. They're more of a fancy, you know, pet chicken. And at that time, people wanted chickens to work the farm and give them eggs and be hardy. So I can kind of see that. So let's go in to their characteristics. They're small bodied. The roosters are weighing in at five to six pounds, which we know is small to medium for a rooster. The hens are weighing in at three and a half to four pounds. So they're about leghorn size or a little smaller. Definitely a smaller chicken. They are found in the white variety in the U.S. I think everywhere. They're pretty much only white. And I read, this makes sense to me. I read that any other colors have probably been crossed with Polish. Yeah, if you're seeing anything but white. Traditionally, they're white chickens. Right. So the Sultans have white skin and slate blue legs, a pale to white beak, Muffs and a beard, of course, because they're fancy. They have everything. A large white crest that is smaller and rounder on the hens. Okay. They have vulture hawks and heavily feathered legs and feet. Very heavily. This is like everything that you have ever dreamed of for a fancy bird. They have the small V-comb and the same vaulted skull and large nostrils of the other birds in the Polish family. Kind of like my Houdans. Right. Same right. thing. I feel like the Houdans and the Sultans are very similar. They def- for- I'm sure they're related at some point. They're definitely the same family. Yeah, no doubt. So though they're really small, they have deep breast and carry their wings a bit low, giving them a proud stance. Yeah, it's really because, cute. I mean, if you're going to be that fancy, you got to be proud. Come on. Yeah. And guess what? There's a bantam. Can you believe that? You might need some mini sultans. I my, myself would like the bigger ones, but you know, if you need a mini, you can get it. For the smaller breeds, I sometimes don't understand the bantams, but all along I have never understood the bantams for the smaller breeds because they're already small. I know, and I know there are some practical reasons for that, especially if you're breeding to show, but I feel the same way about a mini sultan as I do about a mini leghorn. Exactly. And you know what? At the show in Ohio, there were so many mini leghorns. I was like, 
Oh my God. Tons of the bantams. There are tons of them. But again, I think that works really well for people who are breeding for show. I think that's where that comes from. I think you can get more chickens because they're smaller and you can, like you said, have more room to breed more chickens. Right. Now, once upon a time, and I'm not going to a fairy tale here, salt and hens were pretty good layers, but that seems to have gone to the wayside. Modern day salt and hens will give you around 50 to 80 white or cream eggs per year. They are not good layers. So they were not practical to have around those farms giving eggs. That is one egg a week, two eggs a week if you are lucky. And they generally don't go broody. So they didn't really serve a purpose to the family farm. They're 100% pet chickens. Yeah, the Sultan is. It really is the ultimate fancy addition to a chicken lady or a chicken gent's flock. I mean, it doesn't get fancier than this. They are a purse chicken. 100%. Absolutely a purse chicken. Yeah. Yes. Like I could see a Sultan peeking out of my powder blue coach bag. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect for spring pastels. Yep. I would take a Sultan everywhere with me if I had one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, I can't. I was going to say, if you had like a big bouffant hairdo, your sultan could just sit up there. Well, we already know I have hoodans up there, so why not add a sultan? They are a wonderful heritage breed show chicken, and they are excellent friendly pets and companions. But here's part of the problem. While they are well-feathered, they are not particularly cold-hardy. They don't do well in wet and cold climates, and you need to make sure their crest does not get wet with snow and ice in the wintertime. It's the typical fancy chicken stuff that you have to worry about. So if you're willing to give them a place in the winter to come in with heater, with a panel heater out of the cold and they're not getting icy, just make the provisions and you can have them. Well, here's the other side of the coin. They don't have much in the way of combs and waddles to help them cool off in hot weather either. So they don't do well if it gets really hot. So they need the perfect climate. Where are they going to go? I mean, they need a temperate climate. They do. They're California chickens. And maybe it might be too hot in California for them, though. I don't know. There's some parts of California that stay like nice all year. Well, obviously, they would do best in a temperate climate. But if you have provisions to get them through extremes of weather, you can have your sultans. They are gentle and they're chatty. I love myself a chatty chicken. Yes. They like to be held and cuddled. See, this is why they're one of my favorite breeds. I okay. need one. I need one. Yeah. I do. They're not predator savvy. I mean, but that's not a shocker. Come on. Right. The crests can cause restricted vision and they don't really do well free ranging unless they're closely supervised. I mean, they would match right in with my hoodans. They're right in the same thing. Right. They're not quite as big as the Houdans, I think, but, you know, they have a bunch of other similarities. The Houdans are clean-legged. They don't have feathers on their legs. They don't, no. So that's a difference there. But, you know, they kind of all have that same upright body shape, that same look with the crest, the five toes, the V-comb, all that kind of same stuff. And, you know, they just want to be around you 100% of the time, and I'm sure that's how the Sultans are, too. Absolutely, yeah. Now, one other consideration, they don't do well with some of the stronger personality breeds. So you really have to watch what kind of a flock you're putting them into. Exactly. You have to see where they're going. They have to go with like chickens. So like with my hoodans. Right, right. I'm setting this up here. I'm setting this up. Gentle breeds. They need to be with other gentle breeds. Yes. So here's the next best big question is where do we get the Sultan? They've actually become a little bit more available. Our friends at McMurray Hatchery have offered Sultan chicks for a long time, but a few other hatcheries have started offering them as well. Just a note, Sultans are usually sold as straight run, unsexed chicks, but my pet chicken does offer pullets. So you can get one that's a little older and grown out and that you know is a girl if you need to. If you're interested in showing Sultans, join the APA, find some breeders there. This is a note for all of the Houdan and Polish and Sultan lovers. There is no Sultan's breeder group. Instead, the Polish Breeders Club acts as an umbrella organization 
and they cover the Krevkor, the Hudan, and the Sultan, as well as the Polish. They're all in there together. Right? Yeah. Okay, so here's the part of the show. We talk about if you have the Sultan, send us your pictures or put up a story, hit that little mention button and mention us and we will reshare it onto our Instagram. We want to see your Sultans flood our social media. We can't wait to see them. I seriously considered the Sultans as one of my breeds this year. They are so stinking cute. I just love everything about them. They're really cute. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, Try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. They're back with an innovative new product. You're going to want to check this out. It's an extra large set. A 14-pound feeder in 3-gallon water with steep anti-roost lids. They're made of super durable material. You can either stand them on legs or hang them on brackets on your coop or fence. They're easy to remove and clean too. Plus, they look awesome. We personally use Roosties and we're huge fans. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, check out the Roosties store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. UK chicken lovers, this one's for you. Get happy, healthy hens with Eco Nourish's live calci worms. Enrichment, nutrition, and protection in one tasty, sustainable pack. Scientifically proven to support glossy feathers, strong laying and skeletal health, Protect from disease and improve gut health and immunity. You'll also bust flock stress by stimulating natural instincts and get eco-bragging rights. Visit econourish.co.uk and use the code COFFEE15 for 15% off your first order. Your chickens and the planet will hug you for it. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This week, we're doing our monthly roundtable. So let's go across the pond and have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. We're welcoming Fiona back for our January roundtable. Fiona, how are you doing this month? Really well. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New Year. We have spoken. We have spoken, haven't we, during January? It's just we haven't been on the recording. So Happy New Year and Happy New Year to every listener as well. Yes, same to you. 2024 is going to be good. (laughs) Yeah. 2024 is going to be very good. It's an even number. It is. (laughs) It's a leap year this year. It is, isn't it? Hmm. 29 days in February this year. And we're going to be talking about roosters. Woohoo. No, I love my roosters. They are. They're so sweet. This year's roosters are funny. Very, very funny. Yeah, it sounds like you have an interesting pair Just a quick reminder, we have a lot of new listeners, and we haven't gotten into this yet on the show, but we will as we go through chick days and breeding and all that sort of thing. Just a reminder that here at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, we believe strongly that everyone should have a rooster plan. The rooster plan is what you are going to do if you end up with cockerels, whether that's hatching eggs at home, whether that's going to your feed store and buying what you thought were six pullets, but it turns out you have some boys in there. What are you going to do? You are responsible for these boys. What are you going to do? You should know this ahead of time. Now, if you're like me and you you have a Holly Ann, that's your rooster plan, you know what it is. But if you're not like me and you don't have someone that you know that would take your little boys for you, then you need to figure it out before you start on this adventure. I have a lot yeah, of and it's, it's limited choices, isn't it? So, it is. I mean, you can do what Holly Ann does and keep them, which is fabulous, but you've got to have the room to do it. And do. the ideal thing is a bachelor flock because you don't want them all running with the hens because they'll all compete for their attention. You can sell them, but there's a limited market. You can give them away. But the same reason why people don't want to buy them is exactly the reason why you can't give them away because nobody wants the noise. And lots of people have got rules around whether you can keep them. You can do what commercial people do and you can cull them as soon as you know that they're roosters at hatch, which I'm not comfortable with that. Or 
Your final option is to grow them to maturity and when they do reach maturity, call them for the table. Those are your options. All of these options are valid. You have to figure out what works for you and your personal code. At the end and of the day, everyone's however, different. Everyone's and, different. Right. And just the thing is you need to be responsible. You cannot dump them behind the Home Depot. You can't set them out for the predators to eat them. I mean, you can do those things, but they're heinous. It's yeah. cruel. It's cruel because if they're not eaten by predators, which most of them will, because they've never had to gather their own food, they don't know how to forage if you've raised them in captivity, they'll starve if they're not predated. So, you know, it's cruel. It's and very horrible. Who does that? It's just not right. It's not right. And roosters are very sweet. A lot of people have never encountered roosters away from their hens because they're just big sweethearts when you have them with no girls around. And they or if you've got my them. roosters with my hens, they are sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we're talking roosters with you, Fiona. And today what we're talking about is rooster behavior how to decipher it, and giving you some tips on what to do if you have one that's a little harder to handle because there are some things you can try. Yeah. When they're young, they're not a problem. They really are not an issue at all. When they're chicks and when they're running around and youngsters, they're great. But it has to be said, the more roosters you have when they're young, the younger they start to display aggressive or Boisterous behavior is probably the best yeah. way of putting it. Okay. If you've only got a few, you might not see it until they're properly mature. But if you've got a lot, a lot, you can see it really early. As early as 10 weeks sometimes. So yeah. they start modeling the bigger boys and they start looking at them like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's like a learned behavior versus and also an instinctual behavior. So both at the same time. Do you know, even if we haven't got the adult roosters, because normally at that point, our breeding, just for the listeners, so every year we actually replace our breeding roosters. Now, for us, because we've got proven breeding roosters, we sell them on. There's always people wanting them. But by the time the youngsters, the chicks are, say, 10 weeks and we have a lot of young roosters and they're starting to show boisterous behaviours, they haven't learned it because they haven't seen it from an adult cockerel. They're just... It's just in their nature. They're just trying to be the big I am on campus. It's just, <laughs> you know, well, that's what it is. You know, the startup when the tiny chicks, so you see the hens do it as well. They're all doing the chest bumping and everything. And for the boys, it just gets more boisterous. Yeah. They're super yeah. cute. They are they cute. Are. It also, I find that it helps you sex them as juveniles a lot more easily because their whole body language changes. Oh, yeah. They stand. Very much so. Yeah, so in some it's ways... that center of gravity is a lot more upright, isn't it? It's a lot yes. easier to see. Yeah, hens are much more horizontal. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Horizontal vertical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start with talking about some behaviors and when we're going to start to see these that might become some problem behaviors. Yeah, so... Well, the big one is actually trying to be the big I am with you as the chicken keeper because you are the ultimate head of flock because you bring the chicken's treats. So actually, when they're trying to gain their status within their flock, they will do it with their siblings, they will do it with the hens, they will do it with other roosters. And then when they want to get that ultimate extra rung on the, the ladder, they'll try it with you. And that's the point at which you really, if you haven't started to do some rooster training, that's the point where you really must start to do it because it will get steadily worse. What are the things that they're going to try to do? Like use their spurs on you or? Well, at that stage, they don't have spurs, which is a good thing. Okay. But the, the first thing that they do is they will stand up to you. So they will try and force you to walk around them. They won't move when you go towards them. So that's the first thing they do. If they take it to the next stage, they will actually, if you start to feed the hens, they will actually come and try and take their food from you and take the hens away from you. They'll then take it a step further and they will try and physically prevent you from giving treats to the hens. And then the step beyond that is actually attacking you. Okay. So we have some time in between the steps to realize we've yeah. got to do something. I think the first time they stand up to you, that's you must do what they do to you. So to be the dominant rooster. So if you're going to control the situation, you have to behave like the dominant rooster. 
So if they stand and try and make you walk around them, you have to do the same to them. So you just keep walking in a straight line. You never actually have to make contact at all because they're going to move because you're big, they're small. Even the biggest roosters out there, they're not as big as you. So just keep going. Don't blink. Play chicken with them, essentially. Mm -hmm. They'll move. They will. Don't stop and make eye contact with them. Standing there like in a stare off with them, I have found from years of experience, is one of the worst things you can do. Because they're like, oh, yes, go ahead and make my day. Go ahead, try it. You want some of this? I mean, you could see it going through their little brains as they look at you. And then they can actually, then they start to take a few steps forward just to see what you're going to do. Yeah. Do not, do not back up. Do not back up from a rooster. I love your methods, Fiona. And the one that I have learned that has always stood me in good stead, and this works with, I got this from a llama trainer. So, okay. Because the thing there was, you don't even need to, like she would say, don't engage with a a llama. You're not going to win. So you need to walk in there. You're already dominant. You don't need to fight with him because then he's going to think he can fight with you. Yeah. So she would essentially say, just go about your business. Just suit up and go about your business. And that's what I started to do with, and you know, obviously Ricardo Montalban was my biggest problem. I still love that name. It's just so cool. He was so much fun in so so many ways, but he was 15 pounds. And so when he spurred you, you felt it. Oh, yeah. So I would suit up. I mean, I would put on layers. I would put on boots. And what has always worked with me for roosters is I don't even make the eye contact. I just do what I need to do. If you have someone extremely persistent and George the Nankin is, he can be a little devil. I tuck George under my arm and go about my work. I've been on the phone with Holly so many times when she's working the chickens in the morning and we're doing our morning talks every day. And she's like, don't mess with me today, George. And it just picks up like, I don't have time to mess with this. It's like, oh. But you see, that that is one of the ultimate uh, control moves as well, because this is you behaving like the dominant rooster. So you're saying, right, you're coming with me. You're going to do what I want. Yep. So there's three things dominant roosters do, don't they? They basically hold the chicken so they're in a particular place or stand on their back so that that's the other dominant move and the third one is you're going to get out of my way and if you duplicate one or all of those three you're going to be back in control and they will back down right i think at a certain point especially if you're suited up and they attack you and you don't even blink i mean i literally don't even turn around i just do my work they kind of feel like Oh, she's so badass. I'm not even going to bother doing that. I'm going to be over here with the hens. So it, it might be sense. good if you're going in there to wear some heavier boots. Yeah. So that oh, yeah. if they do try to come at you with the feet, they're going to like, don't wear flops in there. I mean, because a spur directly to the foot, you well, know, it's not going to be good. Ricardo spurred Pete through a sneaker, spurred him in the foot through a sneaker. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Ricardo's spurs were cool. So, yeah. I mean, when we say suit up, suit up properly. Yeah, you see, spurs are not something I ever have to deal with because all of our youngsters, because we can't keep them beyond one year because then they'd be mating with their offspring, which genetically would be a big issue. You know, all of ours get sold after their first year of breeding. So we never have spurs to deal with because they just don't have them. They might have a nub, a nubbin. Nubbin, that's all. But they have spurs. It's fabulous for us. Sorry. No, it really is because, you know, that's their, once they get to a certain age, that's their weapon. And sometimes it's even worse with the bantams because they have little needles. Yeah. So, you know, one and a half pounds of George flying at me, normally I would ignore it, but there are some mornings I'm in a hurry or maybe I'm just not in the mood for it. And he just under my arm and he rides around. And sometimes if he's really wound up, he'll be biting my arm, (laughs) you know. I can't feel it through the jacket, but he gets himself really worked up sometimes. Yeah, I've got Badger at the moment. He's trying to have a go at me, but it's ever so funny because he knows that he's not the top dog, but he's so protective. Now he's mature, or rather he's maturing. He's trying to be protective of his ladies. Now, Pelican, flipping Pelican, that hen will not go in the right coop. She, well, she hears me coming down the side of the house now, which is down the side of the coop, which she tries to sneak in where the two boys sleep. 
with six of the girls. But Pelican and Flamingo are in a different coop with the egg layers. And Pelican wants to be in with the boys. Ah. <laughs> so nine times out of ten, I have to go to the coop and actually pick Pelican up and bring her out. And then as soon as she's outside the coop, she knows that she's in the wrong place. And she kind of looks at me like, I know I've done the wrong thing and goes wandering off. But every time I do that, Badger inside the coop is getting really upset. And he nipped me the other night on my hand. And then he cowered at the back of the coop. I was like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, all I've ever done with a cockerel to train them is pick them up walked towards them and never been any contact and the other thing is when I hold them is I put their hand on their back between the shoulders because that's a dominant move of another cockerel but it's putting the hand it's not it is I'm not pinching anything I'm not hurting them it's just putting my hand there and that's been enough to train them and it's never too late to do that but it's just a look on Badger's face when he nipped me and then ran away it's like oh no what have I done <laughs> oh done I know so the times in a rooster's life that they're going to be at that heightened hormonal spike is a start somewhere around nine, ten months and go to like a year and a half, basically. Oh, no, earlier. Earlier, earlier than nine or ten months. Yeah. So it starts much, much earlier if you've got lots and lots of them, as I say, because actually they're competing earlier to okay. be the guy on campus. If you've only got, say, one or two with a large number of hens, they'll probably start around 16, 18 weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Badger Badger is coming into maturity. So he's just, he's 25 weeks old, but he started testing the boundaries at about 17 weeks. Wow. I think that throws off newbie chicken keepers because generally they'll have some hens and they'll have a rooster or two. And they're yeah. not seeing that whole huge, big dynamic. So at maybe month 10, when the hen's combs have reddened up and he thinks they're ready to go, he starts acting like, let's just say his brain <laughs> is awash <laughs> with testosterone. He's a teenage boy. Yes. And then they're like, what happened to my sweet rooster? Like the switch flipped and overnight he became mean. But keep practicing all these things that we're talking about. Yeah. And I get it. Nobody wants a rooster flying with them with spurs and biting it, et cetera, et cetera. That's why you prepare, you know? Sooner. Yeah. If you get them when they're younger and they completely understand that they are second in the hierarchy at most, right. and you are number one and always will be number one, that it's a much easier transition. And the worst thing you can do is let any of the starts of these behaviors slide. It's never too late to correct it. You right. can... There are very few roosters that you can't, I mean, there are some, I'm, I'm not going to pretend there aren't, there are some who, you know, are irredeemable, but for the majority, the, it's never too late to use these techniques and they will work. It may take a little bit longer, but they will work. But the first time you let something slide, particularly when they're going through that puberty stage, the worst it's going to be to bring it back later. The most irredeemable roosters, the roosters that seem to be the meanest, the ones you can't fix, are sometimes the best candidates to be a pet or to be in our bachelor flock. Yeah. Or to be a house chicken to some person who is willing to have a house chicken and not worried about, they just want the pet and they're not worried about the eggs. Yeah, get rid of the hens and it, it all right. goes away. They tend yeah. to be very, very aggressive because usually because they're overprotective of their hens which yes. tends to mean they have a big heart. So when you take them away from their hens, like Ricardo Montalban, and if you're new, Ricardo Montalban is the rooster who crows in the beginning of the show. He was a Jersey giant rooster that I had for a while. And he was probably the most aggressive rooster I've ever known in my entire 20 some years of keeping chickens. We managed him. He was safe with us. But when we took him away from the girls, he was so incredibly sweet. He was just the most wonderful guy. So I want to say this, please, everyone, if you do get a rooster, give them a chance. It's the same for me. I would give them a chance and yeah. use these safe techniques to see if they work for you because everybody is trainable. And I hate, 
I really hate hearing the stories of seeing roosters out in the snow in the middle of the road left behind the Home Depot. That was a true story that someone told me at a party. I mean, their lives are worth way more than this. Right. There's, there's a lady over here in the, the UK that it's not just roosters that are being dumped. There's a lady over here in the UK on social media that had rescued four bantams Bantam hens, beautiful little bantam pecans who'd been dumped in a wood. And these were gorgeous little chickens. Apparently there were seven originally. And they oh, could only find four to rescue. So you know what happened to the other three. And they went there the day after these poor little chickens had been dumped. It's right. disgusting no matter what breed it is. But pecans are like the gentlest, sweetest yeah. bantams. And that's how we got Rambo the Ducle out here, who's... More than half feral, and <laughs> I love that name, though. <laughs> That's I love guy. the story of Pete catching him as well. That's fabulous. So, give yeah, another- give everybody a chance. Give them a chance. Yeah. See if they fit into your flock, into your lifestyle. And if there's a bump in the road, here's the moral of the story: you don't give up on the first bump. You Absolutely. know, keep going and keep working. If I could say anything besides that, roosters are really amazing. It would be. Do not get in a physical fight with your rooster. You are like 50 times bigger than your rooster. Even if he's being mean, he doesn't understand what you're so upset about. He's doing what comes naturally to him. So take these steps. You don't need to kick him. You don't need to hit him with a broom. You might have some listeners who are thinking two of those techniques you've talked about, which are the picking up and the hand between the shoulder blades. I can't do that. I can't pick my rooster up. They're too aggressive. If that's the case, wait until he's roosting. Right. When he's asleep, you can go into the coop and you can pick him up. And that's the time to do it. It'll be far, far easier. He won't be happy about it. I'm not going to pretend he's going to be happy about right. it. But if you have got a good, firm hold, gentle but firm, you are essentially telling him you are in control. But that's the time to use that particular technique and you will be able to train him over time to understand you or the one in control. Absolutely. You can also do the towel method, which is where you go into the run with a towel. Oh, and yes. And he's going to attack you. And again, gently, gently take your towel. You might have to corner him, but gently wrap him in the towel and pick him up. And if you do this every time he comes at you, Eventually, you're going to come in with a towel around your neck, and he's going to be like, no, she's got the yeah. towel. I'm not even getting near her. Yeah. It just requires- It's consistency, isn't it? That's, that's the main thing. and gentleness. Consistency and gentleness. Because and with will- the boys, their nature is dominance. They want to dominate. They want to show that they're the big man on campus to their ladies. And if we're yeah. one of the flock, then we're in that. So it's, you know, just showing right. them who is number For them- one. It's a matter of survival and it's a biological imperative because their job is to pass on their genes and keep the race of chickens going. Exactly. Their brains aren't very complicated when you get right down to it. <laughs> and, but that works to your favor because it's actually not very complicated to correct the behavior <laughs> as well. It's true. It's true. And I'm going to say that if you have kids, especially little ones, yeah. don't leave them around your roosters unattended. I mean, roosters are going to do what they do. And little kids don't know that they're squealing or like flailing arms. They don't, they don't understand that that upsets the rooster. The rooster doesn't understand that your child is precious to you and harmless. So just don't put any of them in that position. Okay. So we want to thank Fiona for coming on this month for the round table. If you have any questions or concerns, you can DM either one of us on our Instagram on our Facebook. You can email us if you have any questions. We're all here to help you and keep trying with those roosters because they are definitely worth it. And I do have a YouTube video on training an aggressive cockerel as well, which may be helpful to your listeners. I will have that linked in the show notes. Thank you, Fiona. We'll see you soon. See you. Bye. Bye. We just want to thank Fiona one more time for a great discussion about our rooster friends. If you'd like to see the video that Fiona mentioned, you can find it linked in our show notes. Don't forget to go visit Fiona's YouTube channel, English Country Life, and check out all of her fantastic videos. So much fun. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, this week's recipe is a little bit more 
complicated or longer, shall we say? It's not complicated. And it actually doesn't take that long to make, but you're doing, you're making two things because we're making biscuits and gravy. Yummy comfort food. Well, you know, we're still coming off that frigid spell and, you know, you need a lot of carbs when you're out there shoveling snow, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely. So it's a perfect time to make this biscuits and gravy recipe that we have. Now, we're making it and we're keeping it super easy with the sausage gravy. And you can use plant-based sausage or turkey sausage that we use in our household. Sausage of choice. Whatever kind of sausage you want to do, including plant sausage. Anything. Right. Our drop biscuit recipe uses one egg, which is great if you don't have a lot of layers yet. But you can also make up your drop biscuits from a box of Bisquick. And we were raised on Bisquick, so we are not going to judge you. I mean, they do the mixing of the dry stuff for you. That's all basically it is. So, I mean, it's you're still baking. Come on. Yeah. Okay. So this recipe makes about a dozen. We're going to go into ingredients now. Let's start with the ingredients for the biscuits. Two cups of all-purpose flour or gluten-free flour one-to-one. A tablespoon of sugar a half a teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of baking powder, a half a cup cold butter cut into pieces, one fresh egg, two-thirds of a cup of milk or dairy-free milk. You're going to preheat your oven to 450 degrees and line a baking sheet with parchment paper or silk pads, or you can grease a big cast iron skillet and make the biscuits in there. Oh, yeah. Whisk your dry ingredients together in a large bowl. You're going to use a pastry cutter to cut the butter into the flour mixture until it resembles coarse meal with some pea-sized chunks left in there, some good-sized pieces of butter. Oh, yeah. You're going to add your egg and your milk to the bowl and use a fork to incorporate and stir it all together. Then you're going to take a big spoon to scoop out the dough, the batter, and you're going to place it on the prepared baking sheet or skillet. Bake it about 10 to 15 minutes or until it's starting to turn golden brown on top. There's your biscuits. Now, let's go into the sausage gravy. We actually make this in our household a lot. Joe makes it, and when Tabitha comes over, Tabby, she's basically my third daughter, she comes over and she makes sausage gravy all the time. It's, but with turkey it's not hard to make either. No, she loves it. So we do it. So... Let's go into the ingredients that we're going to need for the sausage gravy. A pound of ground sausage, either plant, regular, or turkey sausage. A quarter cup of all-purpose flour or gluten-free flour, one-to-one. Two and a half cups of milk or plant-based milk. And Holly Ann uses the oat milk. A teaspoon of garlic powder and salt and pepper to taste. Now, white pepper also works well here, too. Yeah, it does. It, It just blends in really well. So you're going to grab a large skillet, you're going to put it over medium-high heat, crumble and brown the sausage. Um, With the plant-based sausage, sometimes all you can find is the links, and that's fine. Just break them up as you cook them. Exactly. Now, you do not want to drain that grease. You want all the fat that's in there. If you're using a plant-based sausage that doesn't render a lot of fat, just add a generous splash of olive oil. Right. When the sausage is cooked where you want it, you're going to sprinkle the flour all over the sausage, and you're going to stir it. You're going to keep stirring it, cook it for like three to five minutes. You're going to add the milk gradually. You don't need to pour it all in there at once. You're going to add it gradually and stir it after each addition because it's going to mix into that sausage and flour mixture. Once all your milk is in, you're going to reduce the pan to a simmer and allow the gravy to thicken while you continue to stir it. Once it's nice and thick, you're going to add your salt and pepper to taste. You're going to add your garlic powder, stir it a couple more times. And you're going to serve it over those warm biscuits. And there you go. That's it. Comfort food at its best. It doesn't take long to make this. Oh, boys, it tastes good. It's great because it only takes one egg if you don't have a lot of eggs right now. And it gives you another way to use them. So try it. You might like it. Let us know what you think. Send us some pictures. We'd love to see them. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This week's retail therapy, we're doing one of retail therapy out of necessity, basically, for some people, because (laughs) if you are in a temperature, an area where the temperatures are super low or super hot, you want to know what you're dealing with, right? 
Right. So this week's retail therapy, we're going to talk Wi-Fi coop and run thermometers because right. they exist and they're going to help you. And this is thanks to Abby. Abby, thank you. Uh, yeah, we talked to Abby. Abby. Gave us this great idea. So essentially what you're going to be doing is getting a Wi-Fi controlled thermometer. And you can get them so that they read both heat and cold and humidity. Right. You can install these right in your chicken coops and runs and monitor them from the comfort of your home. From your phone, from an app. Yeah. And you can go on your phone and, you know, see what the temperature is in there at that point, whether your panel heaters are keeping it at a comfortable or your sweeter heaters and the humidity that's in there, which, you know, that's really a good thing to do. Now, there's many places where you can find these and all different ones. Right. Starting from Amazon, Home Depot, a lot of other sellers online. We don't have them ourselves. So we're not giving a review. We're just saying, hey, these are a great idea. Go check them out. They're out there. They're out there. Check them out. And you know what would be great? If you have one that you love, send us the name and the brand so that we can check it out and add it to a list so that we can put them out there for everyone so that we know that they're tested and approved. What I'm looking at on Amazon, it looks like they run from $45 to way up to actual thermostats that you can control with an app. Right. But you just need a basic thermometer with Wi-Fi capability so you can hook it up to your app. Yeah, there's one on Amazon here for $47 and it has four different places where you can put them and then you control it. It's four different thermometers and then you control it on your phone by looking Perfect. at what the temperature. Yeah, so you can put if you have multiple coops. This one has Alexa, Google Assistant. But, you know, if you have one that you love, again, message us or email us with the name and the brand and we can add it to our list. So when someone asks us, we will know that it's a good one. I just found one here. Now, this says indoor, so I don't know that it would work. But this one is a temperature monitor. It's $12.99 Bluetooth. Wow. Well, you know what? That might work for chicks in the spring and the brooder. Yeah, that's true. So that you make sure they're not too hot. I think you can. Here's another set. These are $30. I really think if you do some digging, you can find some good budget options that probably work very well for what you want. Exactly. They're out there and they're a good thing to use. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are spotlighting an old and really beautiful European breed with a funny name, the Mechelen Turkey Head. Oh, yeah. Main topic, we are chatting with Lisa Manixma. Lisa is the host of Hobby Farms Magazine Presents Growing Good Podcast. We have some really fun chat with her. It's a great so day. much fun. She was so much fun. Cracking the eggs. Strawberry jam bars. Yum. And retail therapy. Oh, this might end in a throwdown. We're talking vintage Williams-Sonoma chicken stuff. I'm going to have to show off my placemats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>